this the extent of the note? That's the end of that page. I did this. Is that early. a weird spider diagram? What is that? I was yeah, I was trying to write themes, but then I gave up writing arrows because they were pointless. But they're all just stupid stuff like memory, <laughs> culture. Um, I'm just gonna go and get my book for the next choice. So oh yeah. Okay. If you need to come into this part of the flat, you can just be quiet. What? <laughs> hi. hi. What do you want? Well, I was just saying hi. Now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm. Hello. Hi. Um. <laughs> Not you. No, I'm saying hi. Oh. <laughs> Oh gosh, good start. <laughs> How are we not naturals at this point? I know. Now? <laughs> right, right, hello. Podcast <laughs> viewer. <laughs> Listener. Um <yeah>. God. <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of the Flat 26 podcast. Oh yeah. Me and Emily aren't breaking up. <laughs> But we are having a rebrand. Yeah, we're changing our name, but we're not going to say what it is now, are we? Um, you've just smeared, <laughs> you've just smeared mascara all over oh, your shit. face. Oh shit! I've got We don't have to. Actually, maybe yeah, maybe we shouldn't. We'll wait until we've changed. Yeah, we'll do an announcement on our Twitter yeah. if we had one. <laughs> we'll announce our rebrand. It's still the same old M and Jess, just with a better name and a better logo. Or a logo. So we haven't disappeared. We'll, we'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll come back more professional and yeah. smooth. Has it gone? Uh, yeah. Just about, yeah. Okay. okay, so this week... Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right. So for this podcast, we've both read um, a John Berger book. Is it John Berger or John Berger? I don't know. John Berger called And Our Faces, My Heart, Breathe as Photos. Um, it was my choice. Yeah, it was Jess's choice. <laughs> Remember that, guys. Um, so I'll do a little bit of a kind of, well, I'll just tell you who John Berger was. He was um, an English art critic he was a novelist, a painter, and a poet. <laughs> you might disagree with that last one. Um, he won the Booker Prize in 1972 for his novel G, and he wrote a famous essay on art criticism called Ways of Seeing, which is actually, I think that's how I, I knew about I him through that essay. Well, yeah. um, he died last year in 2017, um, and that's kind of why he was on my radar, really, because I think I saw obituaries and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't realise he died, Patrick told me. Yeah. Yesterday or something. So he died last year. Um, so this book that we're reading is uh, was published in 1984 and it's a bit... kind of straddles a few genres. It's a, it's a theoretical essay. Um, it's also got some poems scattered through it. It's got a bit of art criticism, a bit of, I guess autobiographical content I felt like just a little bit of everything really um, so it's quite a short book but it's taken us both a long time to read it um, do you want to just start with your I don't know what you think about it okay I found it very very difficult to read I had to read it in really short bursts because it was just draining me of energy and it was really frustrating me. Um, I didn't overall. I didn't like it that much. Although I have tried to find something out of it, and actually the last forty pages or so I thought were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It might be because I haven't read any of his other stuff before and I don't know anything about him. I just had less interest in what he thought about things. It seemed like just somebody's diary entry. Yeah. Um, which is obviously fascinating for that person who's written it and their friend or their partner or whatever. But to a stranger, it's quite boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, obviously it's more than that because it's it's more intelligent as well thought out. But it's like scattered with little poems and I hated all the poems. Um, he's obsessed with breasts. Oh, Did you like, notice that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In like every poem, it's just like, I held your breasts or across the sky, my hands across, reach for your breasts. Across the mountains, he reaches yeah. for her breasts. Like, but is, is, that, not, is that not all breasts. male writers ever? Well, maybe, Honestly, but male writers always have a thing about breasts. This they is always just, talk about it's them. It's just so, like, it's not poetic it's just oh yeah i might as well talk about breasts again yeah so that that was got on my nerves because it's boring um yeah his poetry is was cringy like it was cringeworthy i couldn't read it like without wincing a lot of the time sorry john i think you need to read an example at some point not necessarily now but like if you find one i'll find one and i'll read it i think we need to give more examples (laughs) to like justify what we're saying yeah um <laughs> no that's not even him yeah that's the thing there are a couple yeah. towards the end that aren't him oh god that's i should have saved all his poems i mean while you're looking for one i'll say what i thought about it because yeah I sorry think, that was really I think, vague <laughs> i think we're gonna disagree again yeah, we like last will. time oh, um god. and i'm not only liking this because it's my choice because as you'll confirm when we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago I was kind of on a similar page to you yeah I didn't really like it and regretted choosing it and felt like it was a bit of a rubbish place to start with John Berger I was like oh maybe this was him in his kind of past his heyday and when he was winding down and they were just publishing it because I don't know he was famous or whatever but I I kind of reread it. I didn't really. I skimmed back through it and read my favourite bits again. And actually, I think it's a lot better than I originally thought it was. And that could be because I missed out the poems when I reread it. <laughs> because yeah. I, similar to you, I found they them. don't bring anything. That's what I mean by like because he was already successful and famous. He was he's just allowed to write crap poems and they'll be published. I just wish the poems weren't in there. Yeah, because. Honestly, that probably brings it down a whole point for me. Yeah. Um, do you have, like, themes and stuff you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know if you'd found a poem yet to, as an example. But They're just all crap. <laughs> it's just, they're just boring. So this one just says, A necklace hangs loose across her breasts, and between them lingers. Yet is it a lingering and not an incessant arrival? The perfume of forever. A perfume as old as sleep as familiar to the living as to the dead. I mean, like, oh, God, it's just so bleh. Like, he, he writes stuff in this, like, really, like, archaic, poetic kind of language, but then when you actually read it, it's so dull. Yeah. That's what I don't like about it. It's like the content doesn't really justify the form That's of how, it. like, if, 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 like, I was talking to somebody who was like, I hate poetry, poetry, so crap, I would, like, never want them to read that, because that yeah. is, like, the... It's almost like the cliche of what you it's think poetry yeah, is. It's everything of like what people associate with poetry, I yeah. think. This one. The pulse of the dead as interminably constant as the silence which pockets the thrush. The eyes of the dead inscribed on our palms as we walk on this earth which pockets the thrush. You know there's a bird. Yeah, so he means <laughs> the bird, obviously. Then it's followed by a weird box. Oh yeah, so it just has like a, a square on the page, just a just a square. What is that about? I don't know. This is the kind of thing I didn't like about it. But th- that doesn't happen at any other point in the book. There's no other random shapes. It's just that square. I don't know. Let's it's move really on. strange. Okay, so we're going to talk about some of the themes, I guess, that... Yeah, and you talk about what you liked about it as well. All right, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the bits I liked were the bits about death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know I love stuff about that. Yeah. Um, so he so he like he talks a lot about time and theories of time and space and he writes quite um like yeah, I guess poetically, but about um 
like how he feels like the dead are kind of always with us. Mm-hmm. So he kind of takes quite a cliche that people say to like make themselves feel better and to reassure each other about when their loved ones have died. But he kind of talks about it in a quite um, like a, a philosophical way mm-hmm. um, and almost tries to like argue it from a rational point of view like of course they're still here by like talking about theories of time yeah yeah Yeah, so he talks about time and how it has another dimension so what I found interesting about is he he's kind of always comparing before and after like he talks a lot about like one theme I wrote down was the modern world because that keeps on cropping up all the time and he's saying you know in the modern world or now we think this or you know we see home as this or we see time as this yeah and before they didn't see it like that and so the time thing I just loved because he was basically he was relating it to death and saying and using it to kind of explore how people used to think about death and how we think about it now Um, and we've got this kind of overemphasis obviously on quantifying things and so we see time as very one-dimensional and linear and something which just destroys it's just a force that is inevitable and all powerful mm. and it just destroys. Um and he finds this other dimension in it which is about depth of experience and what you can actually wring from time. It's almost like time's content and how a moment in time can feel longer. So for example if you're doing something new that you've never done before, that moment will feel longer than a moment mm. that you spend in an office that you've sat in for years and years. Yeah. So when he talks about death, he's basically saying that we don't see time in the same way that they used to. We don't see time as a gift. We see it as just something which is taking. And he says yeah, like something... Like a destructive force. Yeah, so it's all loss, basically. We just mm. see it all as loss and no gain. And we don't see death as something which gives back to life. We just see death as something which takes life. Yeah. Whereas... Possibly in the past, death was understood more in a cyclical sense, like death gives life. Yeah. It takes life and gives and that, life. Like, and, it was li- and it was just completely necessary to have life. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it was necessary for death to exist so that life could continue. Yeah. But also, even in an individual sense, like death mm. is what gives life its shape and its meaning. And he says at one point, there would be no sexuality. There, even like there would be no love yeah. if death didn't exist because you know what would Mm. be the point so like death gives your life meaning and value I loved that stuff I thought that was Mm. that was probably my favorite bit did you like this I quite liked the stuff where he's talking about what desire is and what pain is and how we can alleviate pain and Mm -hmm. that was good I should probably have written something down but he's basically saying the opposite of Pain isn't happiness, it's pleasure. Mm-hmm. And pleasure is different to happiness. Yeah. He says that happiness is the surplus of pleasure over gratification. Yeah. Like, it's not one thing, it's just a general feeling. Mm. But he says there's no such thing as happy periods, just happy moments. Which I don't know. I don't know if I agree no, with I don't, that. I was if say. loads. If every period is a happy period, if every, <laughs> if every, if if you have happy occasions regularly enough, it will just feel like a moment. But maybe he's saying it isn't. Um, I think that was another. Basically, everything he talks about in this book, he's dividing. He's talking about concepts which are. Um, forces antagonistic forces so he talks Mm. about kind of pleasure and pain um like love and separation Mm. um you know death and life and even i like found it interesting the stuff he talks about about home and how throughout like human history from like the like cavemen era right up until now um we've had different concepts of what home means um, and how that's shifted with industrialization and migra- mass migration, globalization, mm-hmm. and how, because of that, the 
idea of home had been completely changed and completely shifted yeah. because it used to be that it was like he kind of described it as like a line like a, a line going from the sky down into the earth because like previously people would have known where their home is because they knew their ancestors were like buried and the gods were in the sky and they were there in that place and that was their home so it was like a linear line a linear yeah. line <laughs> a vertical line oh god but then as people like moved around it had to shift and that now um people's home is made up of habits and things rather than like a house because obviously for like the poor or just people who have to migrate or move around a lot it's not necessarily the building they're in that feels like their home it's like their memories and their um, possessions that they have with them and their habits that they have with their family or friends or wider Mm -hmm. community and then that keeps them that is like the replacement that tries that the human kind of tries to keep themselves grounded with yeah he was he basically says um that the whole the concept of the home has almost been reappropriated by i guess the capitalist age we live in to mean kind of property or um a homeland um and we've lost the meaning of what home used to be and we're now in a perpetual state of like homelessness which he doesn't mean physically we don't have homes because he says Mm. about you know even someone really rich who has multiple homes are still homeless in the sense he means it it's almost like alienation rather than homelessness i think so we're alienated from the sense of home as it once meant to people and Mm. he describes that as um that it originally meant the centre of the world. Yeah. Ontologically. So basically it was the the um, thing around which people's reality orbited, I guess. So yeah. it's central to your reality. And when you migrate, you don't just lose um, the physical things around you and customs and things like that, but you ontologically it's a it's an upheaval. You lose your kind of sense of reality and understanding of the world. But he doesn't necessarily say that that's, like, a bad thing. Like, he doesn't say, oh, everything will be fine if we all just go back to being that kind of static, because we can't go back. Because the time he's talking about, people didn't necessarily know the size of the Earth or what else was out there. And he's yeah. he talks about, like, the draw of the city for rural people yeah, and, and why people might have felt freedom in leaving everything they knew, as yeah, well as... Yeah being pushed to it by like poverty or external forces and also he just says it's um you can't take it back anyway like the cat's out of the bag kind of thing you can't put it back in so Mm. and he says the so he says there's two things that can replace it almost or are people look to to replace that um what home once was for people and he says it's passionate romantic love that people Mm. um put an onus on but he says that he says only worldwide solidarity can transcend modern homelessness yeah i remember that bit and then he says not fraternity but solidarity because fraternity Mm. implies that we can get to a point where everyone's getting on and it's fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas solidarity implies like an ongoing struggle yeah that reminds me of what we've talked about with um steph and charlie on the boat about like different kinds of love and how we define love as being romantic love oh yeah i don't remember that i was going to <laughs> just it was two days ago no, for a while i was thinking as you were talking i was like we went on a boat <laughs> which to be fair it was a pub <laughs> it was on a boat yeah i know but i was imagining us sailing into the ocean i was like when did we do that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, so that leads on to the stuff he says about love. And obviously, Mm. breasts. Because because the whole thing interwoven into it is this, uh, you know, woman or lover. I don't know whether she was real. I'm guessing she was, and that's sort of biographical, isn't it? Who he's missing and he's separated from, and he wants to feel her breasts over the mountains and stuff. And then... So she comes. She crops up occasionally, doesn't she? Yeah. And he'll often. like he'll reflect on her and love and stuff. And then at the end, 
He goes to a train station and, and she's there. She's there. And then, I liked that bit. And then right at the end, he gets to hold her breasts for real. Oh, yeah, he does. While they're listening to some kids play the piano. piano. Yep, you were lying with your back to me, your breasts in my hands. It took me ages to work out what that looked like. <laughs> I liked the bit about, I liked the last paragraph. It's quite kind oh, of... Oh, yeah, but even smooth. that bit, his bones are feeling up her <laughs> breastbone. <laughs> even in death. <laughs> Aww. Read it out. Okay. Um, just a random little paragraph that he shoves in there at the end. What reconciles me to my own death more than anything else is the image of a place. A place where your bones and mine are buried, thrown, uncovered, together. They are strewn there, pell-mell. One of your ribs leans against my skull. A metacarpal of my left hand lies inside your pelvis. Against my broken ribs, your breasts like a flower. The hundred bones of our feet are scattered like gravel. It is strange that this image of our proximity, concerning as it does mere phosphate of calcium, should bestow a sense of peace. Yet it does. With you, I can imagine a place where to be phosphate of calcium is enough. Oh, John. It's very romantic. It is romantic, isn't it? He was obviously crazy about he's, her. He's, and the stuff yeah. he's saying all through the book is really it is, romantic. Yeah. Um, you know what I found just a bit frustrating about it sometimes is that nothing he's saying is a new idea really like he's just basically condensing loads of stuff that's been said by other people but doing it in his own like kind of annoying language style and I sort of think like I don't know I feel like he's trying to say too much in too short a space of time yeah because he does say a lot yeah um yeah because when I tried to condense it down to what the whole like tried to I don't know come up with one central kind of thing that it was all about. Mm. The kind of common theme running throughout is that there's this tension between two opposing things that, and he kind of tries to reveal their, like, interreliance and the way that they're not actually... They're opposing, but they're necessary. Like... The, like the pleasure and pain thing Mm -hmm. or um, the love and separation thing. So he says, um, he says, love aims to close all distance, yet if separation and space were annihilated, neither loved one nor lover would exist. So he's constantly doing that. He's constantly saying like, oh, reality and interpretation, pleasure and pain, like entropy Mm -hmm. and reproduction. um, All of these things are separate and opposing, but rely on each other completely um i guess i might be doing him a bit of a disservice because ultimately it's about the limitations of language or the constant tension and frustration with language and being able to express these kind of like feelings or anxieties Mm. um and he even explicitly talks about like the limitations of language in one bit and talks about why poetry is like the closest form of overcoming that yeah, and that bit was interesting. This, I think that's the thing is that the the pleasure pain thing mm. can sound like a bit of a cliche because yeah, that's kind of a common thing to say, isn't it? Like, oh, you can't have pleasure without mm. pain, or you know, to appreciate yeah. the good things in life, you have to have the horrible things in life mm. and stuff. But what he says about, I think the most interesting parts of it is what he says about um, aesthetic experience and art and poetry and their what they can do for us and what they mean to us so the way I read it was that we have this constant almost dissatisfaction because what we want can never by you know by um definition can never be fulfilled so we want to close the gap between ourselves and the person we love but if we did that there would be no one to love so all of these things are in a kind of inherent sex yeah it's an inherent state of dissatisfaction. Like, we want to live forever and we want mm. time to go on forever, but if that happened, life would have no value. Yeah. Um, we want to feel as much pleasure as possible, but if we did, 
we wouldn't have pain and pain is essential to survival which is essential for us to experience pleasure so we're in a state of dissatisfaction and these two opposing forces are constantly like pressing on each other and for me like art for him was the thing that helps us bridge that gap those gaps which are quite painful um and he says Mm. what does he say about poetry he says that it can repair no loss but it defies the space which separates so he's saying we're in a constant state of loss naturally mm-hmm. and art is the thing that can kind of salvage us from that mm-hmm. not by getting rid of the loss but just defying the space and then again another tension is that although that's what language does for us language in itself is completely like not even neutral it's just uncaring it just mm-hmm. it's just there like it doesn't have its own like tenderness it's what we make yeah. of it like language can be used for either yeah good or bad it doesn't have an agenda no. so he says that a company report has the same words as a poem what and yeah. what is it that makes them different yeah and it's like the relations between the words and the way they're being put to use and stuff i guess i really liked the bits he did about um like painting and stuff and obviously that's what he's famous for so I kind of just thought like oh this is clearly what you're really good at Mm -hmm. and more knowledgeable about than other people and I just wanted to read more of that yeah the way he brings to life like the paintings of he's brilliant at that like the language is really beautiful I wrote down a couple of bits that were like really nice so he talks about Van Gogh and he says in extremis, he approaches so close that the stars in the night sky become maelstroms of light, the cypress trees, ganglions of living wood responding to the energy of wind and sun. And then he talks about Caravaggio. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Um, for ages. And all of that is mm. really amazing as well. I know, I was Google imaging all those paintings. Yeah, yeah. About how that's all his um, paintings are really sexual. There's always like mm-hmm. someone's like fingertip just touching someone's thigh or something. Yeah. And that how often that's in the same painting as someone like getting beheaded or something. Yeah, I want to see this one where he says, A young St. John the Baptist holds the foreleg of a sheep between his legs as if it were a penis. Yeah, I couldn't find I that, think one I've seen on that one on But yeah, here's another bit where he's talking about his stuff he says his darkness smells of candles overripe melons damp washing waiting to be hung out the next day it is the darkness of stairwells gambling corners cheap lodgings sudden encounters and the promise is not in what will flare against it but in the darkness itself the shelter it offers is only relative for the chiaroscuro reveals violence (laughs) suffering longing mortality but at least it reveals them intimately what has been banished along with the daylight a distance and solitude and both the both these are feared by the underworld. And that's him talking about one of Caravaggio's paintings. Mm. That chira word yeah. is the kind of... De- that, that's what that painter's known for, like the development in painting, where he could... Chiaroscuro. Yeah, it's like, he explains it, it's where people started being able to paint, like, light and shadow. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And using that in paintings. Yeah, because his paintings are all really, really dark. Yeah. I like that. <sighs> um... Do you have anything else to say about this? Mm. It's a really short book. I think I've kind of said everything I liked about it. Basically, he has some really good ideas that I like reading about. I just wish Mm. he didn't have the poems in there. Yeah, the breasts. The breasts in the poems. Did you pick up on a lot of kind of um, his politics in it i was just about to say actually that's another thing that's quite interesting like no i don't know anything about him really at all but i know he's left wing yeah in the broader sense um and you can definitely pick up on his politics when he talks about um the paintings and the history of art because he talked and again he talks about language and how um like poor people have always been given like words that are quite derogatory, like Underworld or the Downtrodden and things like that. Yeah. And that's why he likes that painter, because it's not because he's got the most technical, like, artistic skill, um, but he thinks that the way he paints, like, scenes of his 
like working class area and not like looking down at it like a spectator or look at this crazy crowd they're so wild it's like he's in there immersed in it and it's yeah he's not reporting on it or try like in a patronizing way like oh look how poor people live yeah even if that's done in a sympathetic way there's still a hierarchy there yeah and he thinks that that painter is the only one that of his time who wasn't doing that yeah and at one point he just says something really dismissively like oh i i realized that um the, like the richest in society were horrible and I've made it my life's work to avoid them as much as possible or something. Yeah. Um, I thought it was quite Marxist, like the obviously the way that everything is a kind of dualism and yeah. there's, there's like a dialectic between the two things. And then I thought that, it reminded yeah. me a lot of Marx. But then I was just like, oh, why don't we just read something that's more like that rather than this guy's like notebook? It's yeah. basically his notebook, a really clever person's notebook. Uh-huh. Where he's just scribbled down, yeah. Where he's just scribbled down stuff. I think I would have found it better if I'd have come. I hadn't come across these ideas before. Mm-hmm. I think, obviously, I'd, I'd still learn things from it. But that idea of like the home and how that's changed and things, I've, I feel like I've read that a lot before. Yeah. So it was just like the same stuff again, mm-hmm. really. Whereas maybe that's why I really liked the bit about art history or the history of art because I've never been that bothered by that subject before yeah so it was more and even when I read the stuff about death I really liked it because he was talking about it in a way that I agree with and I feel quite strongly about it in that death is thought of and conceptualized in completely the wrong way Mm. um I I don't really know enough to say how it was conceptualized in the past but I do think we think about it in the wrong way today. But it wasn't something I've never thought about before or never mm. read about before. I think he just, he was putting it in a way that I appreciated and I liked. Mm. So I quite liked reading it. It was satisfying. Mm. But I don't know whether I would necessarily have learned anything about that. But I think the aesthetic thing and the way he talks about poetry and poetry's role and what it does was really good that's probably the most new thing i got out of it that's so hard to try and Mm. like put into words yeah it's he's basically trying to grapple with all of the big themes of living in a modern world that people either take for granted or they're expressed in cliches because that's the kind of common denominator of the way in just day-to-day chatting people can express something that complex but also stuff that feels so like understood like deep within you you just understand like pleasure and yeah you understand pain it's not like you're taught it, it's just an instinctive thing yeah and those are like the hardest things to actually analyze so yeah he did all right mm-hmm. it's weird that he's so good at talking about poetry but he's not like, yeah. like at it <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> you just think, didn't someone just say, John, you know, just maybe keep them to yourself? <laughs> um, one bit I didn't like as well was when he talks about love. He talks about it in a quite a... Um, Man, woman, yeah, heteronormative. That's what I thought. Like, is was this published in the eighties? Because it did feel quite dated. Like, Mm -hmm. in in trying to explain something, he has to completely like homogenize it. Like his whole argument is built upon a man and a woman. Yeah, and it's like you can't you can't really miss out other things now because it just makes your argument look really patchy. And I feel like a lot of his arguments about like pleasure and sex and like love were very about like basically the argument of um as soon as we realized we were separate from our mother or as soon as we were alive like as soon as our mother gave birth to us we're like constantly longing for that like connection with another human again and he kind of makes references to how sex can be like that and how it's just us trying to get back to being in the womb yeah i was like oh I want to find the bit where he says that, yeah, man and woman are polarised. Oh, here, yeah, here it is. In the beginning, which such love remembers, the division into two sexes polarised life. The creation of male and female constituted a separation, a new form of incompleteness. The sexual in- instinct was the energy of attraction between the two poles. 
Yeah, it was, oh, it's and just... also there's one bit where he implies that <laughs> that um, I can't remember how he like phrases it, but basically a man is like a man is going down on a woman, and she. And it makes her think of giving birth. Oh no, that bit was horrible. <laughs> That's right near the and end. I was just like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, I did not like that. And bit. that's his argument as to why, like that again, like why sex exists because it's basically just recreating that giving of life. He lies with his head between her legs. How many millions of men have lain like this? How many women, placing a hand on their heads and smiling reflectively, have thought of birth? Well, I wasn't sure if maybe he was just, like, lying or whether it was, like, oral sex. Surely you wouldn't think about that if someone's going down on you. Reflectively. <laughs> Smiling reflectively. <laughs> Everything here is reenactment. Everything here is return. Home is the return to where distance did not yet count. Yeah. So home is the return to where distance... Home is returning to not being born. To be... And to sex that, is the closest you can get to that. That, for me, like, it just smacks of kind of... Um, pseudo psychology. Yeah, it's quite like Lacan. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, like with the mirror stage, and then like realizing you're separate from your mother is what whatever yeah. it's called stage. I've forgotten now. The next and just stage. this idea that like naturally two sexes are complete, and so there's this. Mm. Oh, it really reminded me of um, in when in Plato he does a whole. I love that stuff reminds you of Plato. Well, no, there's this myth which Aristophanes says where basically the myth is that there used to be three sexes, all men, all male, all female, and an androgynous sex, and they were basically spherical shaped and they got everywhere by rolling. (laughs) And then Zeus thought they were too powerful, so he split them all in half. And love is when those come together again, so... Female and female, male and male, male and female. Do you know what I mean? To their person who they would have been split uh, off from. But that's more progressive than what John Burgess saying yeah. because at least it's acknowledging that there are he's basically, gay people. He's, yeah, he's basically just like bouncing off the like the biblical like um, creation story in yeah. a way of male and female and just twisting it to what he wants to say. But there's loads of there's loads of like alternative ideas of what like sex is and things and it and it's not about the binary of male and female coming together because like there were quite a few like um Native American tribes who had like um like androgynous mm-hmm. um like gods and like transgender people and all, all different stuff that was like part of their origin stories and part of their culture and they still had a unifying idea of life also he is he is following a particular like pattern isn't he also bonobos who are our closest love bonobos (laughs) we love them but they have lesbian sex yeah so i really would like i mean i'm not saying he's homophobic or anything i just it would be interesting to know what he said how he like fitted that into his ideas you know like maybe because this was published ages ago maybe he's written more recently about Mm -hmm. I don't think it's homophobic. I think it's just an example of the way that um, everything can be kind of charged without people necessarily being aware of it. Mm. Like Mm. ideas always slip through, don't they? And ideologies and norms Mm. always slip through. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, okay, well, we've been talking for like 45 minutes. Yeah, we might as well sum up and then talk about what we're going to do next. Is there any... Are there any good quotes or favourite bits that you want to read I had a really good bit which bit Um, oh I like the raunchy Egyptian poem that was good where was that I'll find it while you read your bit okay so I just like this as an image what I did not know when I was very young was that nothing can take the past away the past grows gradually around one like a placenta for dying No, that is good. <laughs> oh, here it is on page 96. So I, I like this poem, but he didn't write it. Um, shall I? Oh, I don't know whether to read the bit before it. Yeah. Poetry can repair no loss, but it defies the space which separates. 
think you already said that. Um, and it does this by its continual labour of reassembling what has been scattered. 3,500 years ago, an Egyptian poet was writing, Oh, my beloved, how sweet it is to go down and bathe in the pool before your eyes, letting you see how my drenched linen dress marries the beauty of my body. Come, look at me. And then he goes on to talk about metaphors. But I thought that was really cool because it's written that many thousands of years ago. And it's basically the same idea that he's talking about how poetry wants to kind of bring things together again. Unify. Yeah. That's nice. But generally I didn't enjoy reading it. <laughs> it's difficult because sometimes you don't enjoy reading something but you still want to give it a high rating. But yeah, other times don't you don't enjoy do it and you still don't want to. The um the back the the blurb on my version is quite funny. I think I was telling you about it. It's like yeah, so I was reading my blurb and it didn't uh, say. It I won't read it all because it's quite long. But it seems like the person who read it didn't really like it and then had to write the blurb. So it starts with this is probably John Berger's most unusual book, and even his most ardent readers might might find that it gives them reason to pause. Basically, <laughs> this is shit. <laughs> Subtext. Um, Not only are some of its reflections of a very general nature and will seem to some very abstract, it is also a book which moves suddenly between such different levels and covers such a wide range of topics that it may seem to many readers just an odd assortment of story, essay, autobiography, poem and polemical tract. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically what we were saying. God, they hated it. Why did they write the blurb? I don't know. So what are you going to give it? How many breasts are you yeah, going to give it? Yeah, it's definitely got to be cupped breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'll go with four, four out of ten Berger breasts. That's the lowest rating we've given anything. <laughs> Is it? I was thinking that was quite high because there's a, there's a whole three, two, one, zero below that. I gave Pond five. Yeah, Pond was amazing. Pond was <laughs> so much worse than this. <gasps> I was just joking. <laughs> This was, I got so much more out of this, this than This was pond. awful. Oh. <laughs> I've been scrabbling. Awful. Okay, well, we're allowed our own opinions. Mm. I personally You're just not. will take a lot more from this, away yeah. from it, than I will pond. And I think, it's because, I think it's because I could... Give me a few hours and I'll go and find some better, like, things that talk about the same stuff and have the same argument, just but way better, like, way better more like just written better and more specific more detailed I not think just you're him. giving him a really I hard feel time. like he's high and he you know when you're <laughs> high and you think that you've come up with a really clever idea no <laughs> and then it's not it's a bit it feels a bit like that but then because he is such a genius he probably wrote it all and it made a good book but it's still I think it's better that than that feeling. I really think without the poems <laughs> Without the poems, it's better than that, than you're giving it credit for. But, yeah, I'm going to give it... When I first read it, I wanted to give it a 6. I'm probably going to give it a 6.75. Just give it a 7, Jess. No! (laughs) Fine. (laughs) What are you going to read? I mean, what are we both going to read? Okay, our next. next book... Well, maybe there will be some similarities, but to me it's going to be very different. We are reading L.A. Confidential by James Elroy. No. Okay. I got this out the trailer. Um, Yep, it's a crime book. Have you seen the film? No. Okay, so we can watch the film afterwards as well. Okay. There's a film made of it. Um, Is that a picture on the cover? Is that a mouth? I think it's a mouth, yeah, but like a blurry one. Um... Yeah, I don't really know too much about it, but I've just heard it's really good. And I thought we should read something, like, um, really different to anything we've read before. Yeah. We should always be trying to read different stuff. Yeah, exactly. What I have seen is this really good documentary about him, about the writer. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Really? really What's good. It called? I can't remember. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I don't know details. But basically it's just about his life and him trying to kind of come to terms with and also understand 
um, what happened to his mum because his mum was murdered in a really like gruesome way that was in the papers and in a really similar way to another like huge famous murder that had happened as well and it's just about him researching that mm-hmm. trying to find out who did it but it's one of those documentaries where it's like really artistic and has its own like real like strong atmosphere yeah it's really good so I liked that so I think we might like the book sounds good I'm looking forward to it so you need to buy a copy I will by the way, I think on the image to this podcast, we're definitely going to use the cover of mine oh, yeah. instead of the cover of yours. What is that? Is that someone's back? Oh, no. Oh, my God. That's like one of those things that looks like two different things. I thought that was a woman's hair bun at the back, and then that's what old people's backs look like. Can that's you see it? Quite obviously like the shoulder. face. Like, that's her neck, and that's her shoulder. And then I thought her arm was over her head like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, <laughs> not at all. But it might be that I just can't unsee yeah. what it actually is, which is a face. Yeah, I didn't know that immediately. I've got quite a good I- idea of the song. We can cut this bit out. But okay. I've got a good idea of the song because um, you know that band Pinegrove that I like. I oh, think yeah. I played it to you. They've got um, they've got a song lyric which I need to check. But it sounds like they're saying Caravaggio moves. Oh, I'm like maybe they mean the painter. Ooh, unless there's another famous Caravaggio. And the song is kind of about all these themes as well. Yeah, so I'll send that's it. a good one. Okay, yeah, send it to me. God, that was hard. Yeah, that was a hard one to talk about. I, I just... It's not because I didn't like it, because obviously we've talked about stuff that we didn't like before. I think it's just because it is so, like... It's like, where do you start? It's very dense. It's hard. Like, it's I'm, dense and really big at the same time yeah like if it was dense but it was just about one of those things we could get our claws into it more but if I hadn't read it again I think there's no I wouldn't have been able to talk about it I, I had to yeah. do I had to do some close reading I feel on like really some bits regretful regretful like, because I didn't write any notes I should have because I didn't try hard enough Chris <laughs> I feel really bad I should have written more notes or at least written down quotes but the last two you haven't written any notes <laughs> I, I, yeah but I, I should have done with this kind of book. I think you need to with this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, we'll, it still might be an alright podcast. Hopefully. We're I mean, if it's not, then it'll be short. So that's the main mm. thing. Exactly. It's probably our shortest one yet. Yeah. And it's the shortest book yet, so it's fine. Mm. It is, like, I think I know what you mean. Like, if you'd have just given... If you'd have taken out the poems and, like just given it to me in another way where I hadn't read any of the poems and it was just straight like talking about philosophy and stuff I might have yeah liked it more but it, they're just they're not it's not like there's one poetry section because they're just dotted I know, throughout I it you ha- can't I get away from well. them the poems don't add anything no they're, they're just a distraction and that's what I think like because that's what I don't get about him he's, he's either like really arrogant or just a bit like, he's like, well, I like my poems, so why shouldn't I put them in there? Because the way he writes about poetry, and even the way he talks about art, like visual art, he's obviously so in awe of people that can do it well. Yeah. And he has so much respect, he knows it's not just, like, anyone can pick up a paintbrush kind of thing. But then why does he think that he do you think is it, good at writing do poems? Do you think it's a taste thing? Maybe it's just a taste no, thing. I Maybe some no people shit. would read them and think... No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They're like GCSE, like how you would write a poem at GCSE because you were trying to write poems. Yeah. I just, every t- every like time I flick a page, my eyes just fall on my breasts. I'm so happy you picked that up as oh, well. Oh, yeah. How could I not? That's the other thing. It's like, obviously, he's always going to use the word breasts in his poems. He's never yeah. going to write anything else. I, I have like had this conversation with Charlie about Haruki Murakami. Because yeah, right. he is obsessed with breasts. And I've always said this as a criticism, but it's never been validated or verified by anything else. But I've always said, oh, God, he talks about breasts a lot. And, you know, yeah. everyone's favourite Murakami book is 1Q84. Yeah. And he is obsessed with this woman's breasts in it. Like, he, all, he, all he talks about is that one's bigger than the other. <laughs> over and over and over again, as if that's, like, a defining characteristic about her. And I'm like... No, no one's being like one of his testicles was bigger than the other and like focusing on that for ages really pissed me off and like actually annoyed like 
made my experience of the book like not good. Yeah. Um, and then the he's got a new book out, and I read the review on it the other day, and the person says they counted the amount of times he <laughs> he re- mentions breasts, and it's like in the fifties or something. <laughs> So by this point, though, he obviously knows that's a thing. Like, people have obviously said that to him, so he's probably just doing it on purpose now. Maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, maybe he's just obsessed with breasts and it's his book and he I mean, can yeah, write it. I mean, yeah, they say he's, like, sort of... It is like a fetish. I haven't read any of his... Um, any of his books. Oh. Yeah. They're quite good. I guess that's, like... A debate about like like literature, though, isn't it? Because then, if the author, if that's just what comes naturally to them and it feels right, then can they should they just be able to do it? Because is it bad yeah. to think about your reader in that sense? Like, oh, they might be getting annoyed because I love boobs and I've written about yeah. it. Yeah, so I mean, if it comes naturally, but then, then it's, whatever, it's fine. But it is quite. It's still I just annoying. feel like it is quite exposing of the male psyche. Yeah. <laughs> That it comes up that often, and yeah. every like female character, you have to describe what her breasts yeah, are like, yeah. and that's what he does. That's what Murakami does. Every female character, you know, like what her breasts are like. <laughs> yeah, because they're sex. Presumably, they're like sexual, like people in it. They're not yeah. just like people he's not sexually attracted to. Do you know what loads of Beatles writers are like that as well? It's disgusting the way they describe the women in the Beatles story. Yeah. Is just just disgusting. Image. Yeah, like this one that um, Charlie read, and it's describing Yoko, and it says that her breasts are, um, oh, what does it say? Something and pendulous. Oh, God, what? Because she's over the age of twenty five, like, and they're slightly hanging. Or just because she doesn't wear a bra, I think. Oh. It's so boring, though. Like. Mm. Describe their like eyebrows, or or just describe their personality. But it's almost like titillating, like the way yeah. they try and describe it. I guess because they know, they're well probably because they're slightly pervs anyway. Um, but also they know probably that the reader's going to be male. It is assuming a male reader. Yeah. Another one of them basically. Yeah. Yeah, that is annoying. Anyway, right, I can stop recording now.